him. He won't fail. I don't know if there are some people in here that had their back against a wall, had some naysayers and things just didn't look like it was, wouldn't work out, but you found out he won't fail. Yeah. My God, I am glad to be in the house of the Lord today. Yeah. Strong Tower, how are we doing this morning? Yeah. Amen, amen. Let us move expeditiously to our passage. We will be in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 27 today. We'll be reading verses 1 through 12. I will read it in our hearing this morning. Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape, the land, escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over, he and 600 men who were with him, to Achish, son of Maok, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, and he and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, Anahim of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. Then David said to Achish, if I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. For why should I, your servant, dwell in the royal city with you? So that day Achish gave him Ziglag, therefore Ziglag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines were a, was a year and four months. Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Jeshurashites and the Grezites and the Amalekites. For these were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as far as sure to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the garments, and come back to Achish. When Achish asked, where have you made raid today? David would say, against the Negev of Judah, against the Negev of the Jeremelites, or against the Negev of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking least they should tell about us and say, so David has done. Such was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. And Achish trusted David, thinking he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, speak through me today. Have your way. God, as your word goes forth, I pray, Father, that it finds a place in the hearts of your people. God, let it go unhindered by human limitation. But, Father, let it achieve all that you have sent it out to accomplish. God, we are your people, and we need hope every day. May you encourage us to hope. May you strengthen us 
that we are looking to you, hoping in you, hoping on you, hoping on your word day by day. We can't do it without you. Make this possible in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody say it. Amen. All right, you guys may be seated in the presence of the living God. In 1985, there was a family, the, the, the Franciscos, Teresa Francisco and her husband, they were proud parents of a four-year-old daughter. And even though they were happy, they were excited to be parents, their happiness was often changed to worry. See, their daughter had a, a disease, a, dis, a disease that caused her to have 100 to 200 seizures a day. So they lived in this space of, uh, of, of being happy to be parents, but constantly worried. They begin to seek medical attention, and they go to doctor and they get a prescription here for this. They go to another doctor, they get a prescription for that. But in that day, that time, the prescriptions proved unsuccessful. The doctors were telling them there's really not much we could do. All of the doctors refusing surgery. And without the surgery, their daughter would eventually become severely mentally impaired. And that the worst, suffer a premature death. Here they are, excited to be parents, but dealing with this tough situation, and they constantly, consistently continue to look for doctor after doctor. Finally, they make a move to keep hope alive. And they find a doctor who's willing to operate. See, in our passage today, we're going to encounter David, who is waking up day after day doing all that he can to just keep hope alive. But what do we do? How do we keep hope alive when the enemy has launched a vicious attack? How do we keep hope alive in that situation? We'll, we'll see how the text answers that this morning. Verses 1 through 4 says, Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. Therefore, there is nothing better for me to do than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. David is going to the enemies here. His back is against the wall, and now he's seeking refuge in, in enemy territory. Strange. Then Saul, he says, then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel. I shall escape out of his hands. David arose and went with his 600 men who were with him to Achish, son of Maok, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his man. Men, he and his men, every man with his household. David with his two wives, Anna, him of Jezreel, and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. 
And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. Here is David on the run yet again. He has already been keeping his distance from King Saul. But he knew that Saul wanted him. Saul was watching him. Saul was seeking to kill him. Well, the reason he's leaving now is because there have been at least two attempts where Saul is coming after David, but David, by the help of God, turns the tables. And Saul ends up being the one who's about to lose his life. See, the first occasion happened when uh, David was out with his men. They were hiding in the caves. Saul gets word that, yeah, David is out there in the caves. Let's send men. We're going to go and hunt him down. Well, they get out there. They're doing their best to hunt him down. They get um, set up. All of a sudden, Saul needs to go to the bathroom, so he finds a cave. He didn't know he was going into David's cave. He goes into this cave. David and his men are there. They are telling David, go ahead. This is your chance. God has given him to you. David says, not yet. Now is not the time. He cuts off a, uh, he stealthily cuts off a piece of Saul's robe. Saul, he gives Saul time to get out of the cave and get some distance between them. And he calls out to him and says, hey, look at your robe. That piece that's missing is here in my hand, and he's holding it up, showing him, look, I had ample opportunity to take your life, but you can see that I have spared your life. He says that Saul feels remorseful. Saul is like, okay, you can come back. You know, things should be different. They get back. David is no fool. He's not going to live right under Saul's nose, so he is keeping his distance. It happens again. As he's keeping his distance from the king, Saul hears where he is, goes after him again. This time, he's not doing so well at finding David, as was before, and they decide, you know what? It's nighttime. Let's get some rest. Let's go to sleep. We'll pick this back up in the morning. While they are sleeping, David and one of his men go into their camp all the way up to Saul as he is sleeping like a baby. They take Saul's spear, which was right beside his head. They take that and they take Saul's water jug. Once they get some distance between them, David calls out and he says, look. I have your spear. I have your water jug. This is proof, once again, that I could have taken your life. David, men were telling him, look, David, this is it. He is in your hands. If you don't want to do it, let me do it. I promise you, I'll do it quick. It won't take long. David says no. And again, he proves to Saul that, look, I'm not trying to kill you. But you are seeking after me. I don't know what lies you are following, but you keep coming after me. Those are lies. Whatever they're telling you of, if that I'm against you, that's a lie. 
What David has to do is get some separation between him and Saul. Saul is seeking to kill him, and he has made up his mind. You know what? Saul is not going to change. He's stuck in this cycle of constantly coming after me. And since he's not going to change his mind, I'm going to have to separate myself from him, even if it means going to find refuge with an enemy. Sometimes we have to keep hope alive by separating ourselves from those that are against what God has already promised. When we look back at, Saul, at 1 Samuel verse 16, we find David being anointed king. Not installed, but anointed. David already knows what God has told him. And because he is trusting in the revealed word of God, he says the only way I can keep this hope alive is if I leave because if I don't, He'll kill me. If I don't, hope will die a premature death. So he makes some separations. There is going to come a point in our life when we have to separate ourselves from some folk that are not for us, some people that, are, that the enemy is using to get, a, get us away from what God has promised, to get us away from what God has revealed in his word. And even though Saul expressed remorse, he didn't change, constantly pursuing David. As we look at this text, there's a lot that we can gain from, from the nuggets in this passage. We see David proving himself not to be an enemy. Saul's still looking for him. Saul's still pursuing him. Saul still wants him dead. Saul is doing this because he's jealous. Saul is doing this because he covets what belongs to David. Because, because Saul wasn't doing what he was supposed to do, this is happening to him. See, God is going to help somebody today. Uh, when we look at the life of Saul, the way that Saul moves, the things that he's doing, especially in this stage of his life, is all geared toward what he wants. And what does he want? He wants significance. He wants the name. He wants the glory. He wants longevity. He wants to set up a dynasty. He wants to leave his kids an inheritance. Nothing is wrong with those things. Those are, in most cases, a noble endeavor. To do well, to, to leave an inheritance for your children, nothing is wrong with that. The problem for Saul was that he wanted it over and against what God had already said. Is there something in our life that we want over and against what God has said? How are we to respond to that? Well, we have to look at the text. We definitely don't want to respond like Saul. Jesus said that to, to follow him, you would have to lose your life. But if you don't lose your life and you try to save it, 
ultimately you're going to lose it. But when you lose your life for him, you actually find life. A close review of this text shows, and the rest of 1 Samuel, it shows that Saul wasted the last years of his life chasing an enemy who had no ill intention toward him. Instead of pursuing what God had called him to, instead of being the king of Israel and leading the people to honor God, every time he caught word of where David was, he dropped everything and started chasing after David. What does that show? He has given up his life for what he wants. He can't even have peace. He can't even have a nice day because he's constantly being interrupted with news on David and trying to seek out where he is. And if you read all the way to the end of 1 Samuel, what you find is that eventually Saul dies. He lost his life trying to pursue what he wanted over and against what God wanted. But we have to look at people in our life and say, okay, is this person with me or for me? Have I confused one of my enemies or confused someone who is not an enemy to be an enemy? That's what Saul did. Saul was saying, David is my enemy, but in grand gesture, gesture, two big grand gestures, David proves, I'm here for you. I'm not, I'm not against you. Sometimes we have to look at our life and say, okay, God, I'm, I want to separate myself from these naysayers, from the people that don't want you at what you have called me to. Separate myself from them, but is there anybody that I might be confused on, making the wrong choice on? We don't want to make that same mistake that Saul makes. Oftentimes in our world, it's really easy. The, the way that life is set up is really easy to be conditioned by life. You wake up, you go to work, you take care of your responsibilities. You might want to climb the, 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 the corporate ladder. You want to achieve success. And none of that is, is bad. But, but it's easy for us to miss our kingly responsibility. Where do we, we're, we're not a king like Saul, but where do we have kingly responsibility? I'll tell you, it's where God has planted you. It, it, it's right here in, in your church. It's right here in your home. It's right here on your job. What is that? That's when the Holy Spirit puts on my heart or impresses on my spirit to care for somebody that I don't just shrug that off and keep moving. But I say, okay, God, I sense that you're leading me to somebody. Guide me in how to, how to, to care for them. It may be as simple as letting a person know I see you. Good morning. I'm glad you're here today. It may be just as simple as that. In your church, you have a responsibility to your brothers and sisters here. That, that's our kingly responsibility. He has entrusted us with that. What does that look like? 
something as simple as showing up for your connect group. Just simple. You don't have to do anything grand. You don't need to stand on the street corner and, and preach. You don't have to start a brand new ministry. Something as simple as that is just showing up. Sharing truth with another believer. Encouraging someone with your words from scripture. That's what it looks like to be faithful, to, to, uh, to exercise responsibility. This is what God has entrusted to us. Unlike Saul, we want to be people who are eager, eager to pursue what God wants, where he has planted us. What does that look like just on a regular day? I'll tell you a story that happened here in Lakeland. Uh, one of the local pizza parlors, there's a man inside. He's making his order. He tells him exactly how he wants it. He, he doesn't want this kind of cut. He wants that kind of cut. Well, he sits down after making his order. The next customer comes in. They make their order. They let them know, I'm picking up a order for, you know, something that went wrong or whatnot. They move on. The man, first man, he comes in. He stands back at the register now to pick up the pizza he just ordered. But when he stands up there, he overhears a discussion with the employee and the manager. And the manager is getting on the employee for allowing this customer to make the decision on how the pizza was cut. So the, the employee is trying to tell the manager that they made that mistake and the manager says, well, you know that's not the protocol, you shouldn't be doing that. Well, the man gets his order. He tells him, no, this is not what I ordered. I've spoken with the employee here. They have told me the pizza could be made this way. I would like it the way I ordered it, not the way you have done it. The manager was already irate. Now, sharp words get going back and forth. It's getting heated in the pizza parlor, and I'm not talking about just in the kitchen. It, it looks like things are, like they're about to lose it. How do we show our kingly responsibility? We are but agents in this world. Agent of God, agent of Jesus Christ, could easily insert themselves into that situation and say, Sir, they made you a promise took your money based on that promise to give you what, they, what you asked for. They didn't do that. Here is $20 to cover your pizza. And then proceed to give the manager, say, I understand things are, are tough for you. It's a stressful night. Employees aren't making the proper decisions, not following protocol. Just take a breather. Give yourself a break. 
What does that do? That could show that man here, I'm, I would give you $20 to right the wrong that they've done. This is wrong. They have taken your money based on what you said and they decided that they were going to fulfill that and they didn't. That's wrong. Jesus Christ of the Bible, he has come here to right wrongs. They might not make it right, but this $20 will make you whole. You'll be able to have, you'll be able to have a, a pizza for free. What is that doing? That's just showing that the God that we serve, he's a God that keeps his word. If he tells you he's going to do it, he's going to do it. That's the God I serve. That's what it's like to just do something simple, something light, something easy. It doesn't take any grand gesture. It just takes people of God who are on their responsibility. That I understand that who I am in this world is who God wants me to be. That I'm on assignment for him. I, it is his agenda, not mine. And we can do things like that on a day-to-day -day basis. You guys have seen it, people paying for other folks' food in, in drive through or something, paying it forward or paying for someone's uh, bill at the, uh, at the grocery store. Those kind of things happen, and it's simple acts like that that could show people the truth of the gospel. That's how we express our kingly rule over what God has entrusted to us. Saul failed to do that. And because he failed to do that, God told him, Saul, I'm, I'm, I'm picking a new guy. <laughs> I'm picking a new guy. So I just want to encourage you with, with, on, on this point, on this point, and we're going to move on, that there are ways in which we can show our kingly responsibility in our home, on our job, in our city, in our church. Those are areas that God has entrusted to us, just like he had entrusted the kingdom of Israel to Saul. We don't have to be like Saul. We can make a decision to pursue what God has promised, pursue what God wants, pursue God's agenda, not simply our own. Let's look, look with me real quick. Verse 5 5 through 12, let's see here. Then David said to Achish, if I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. For why should I, your servant, dwell in the royal city with you? So that, so that, day, so that day Achish gave him Ziglag. Therefore, Ziglag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of days that David lived in the country of the Philistines were, was a year and four months. Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Geshurites, against the Grizzites, and the Amalekites, for these were the inhabitants of the land from old, as far as sure to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, the garments, and come back to Achish. When Achish asked, where have you made raid today? David would say, against the Negev of Judah. 
or against the Negev of the Jeremalites, or against the Negev of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking, least they should tell about us and say, so David has done. Such was the custom of all uh, so was the custom, such was the custom of all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines, and Achish trusted David, thinking he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. What we see here is David remaining faithful. He may be on the run, but he remains faithful. See, uh, uh, you can almost guess. You don't even have to think about it. You know in Israel they were talking. You know the, the, the naysayers were saying, yeah, David is, is running. David is scared. What we find out from the text, David could have put hands on Saul easily. A lot of times we find ourselves in situations where sometimes we might want to get physical. We might want to put our hands on somebody, especially my, my teenagers who have siblings and friends at school. Sometimes there are things that happen that make you want to put your hands on somebody. But you have to remember, like David, it would be unfaithful. It would be unfaithful for me to act that way. Um, you have to ask yourself, I had to ask myself as I'm studying this, why was David so um, hooked on not killing Saul? Well, when you read it, what he constantly says is, I will not put my hands on the Lord's anointed. So I'm wondering, where did he get that from? When you read Psalm 105, the first 15 verses are attributed to David. And what he says there, as he recounts God's faithfulness to uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the, uh, the Israelites, as he recounts God's faithfulness, he says, God has rebuked kings on their behalf. And he says, touch not his anointed and do his prophet no harm. There throughout, the, from the time God speaks to Abraham until the, the Israelite or till the children of Israel have their own land, you can see his faithfulness. You see that he has indeed rebuked kings, making sure that they go uh, unhindered to a degree, keeping his people safe. David gets all of this information as he's growing up, as he hears these stories of what God has done and his faithfulness in the past, and he says, this God is not going to allow somebody to come and harm those that he put in power as the anointed, as the, as the prophet." That's where he gets this from. And he sees that faithfulness and he says, I'm not going to be the one to do it. I'm going to let God do it. That's a lesson there for somebody. But what we see in these last um, seven verses, these last few verses here, David remains faithful. 
even though he is on enemy territory, even though he has to make a, make a, uh, a, a connection, a, a, a deal with the enemy, he does not allow this deal to derail his faithfulness. He says, God has anointed me king. It might not be time for me to be installed. It may not be time for me to sit on the throne, but I know he's anointed me king. That's no reason for David to shirk his, um, his responsibility. You see him using his giftness, his, his giftedness in war and battle. He has to grow some uh, diplomatic skills to speak to the enemy to say, hey, um, let us come and stay with you. Because what David had to deal with, he had 600 men with their families. And they're going every, left and right. Every time Saul show up, they have to move. They got this going on. He was like, look, I got to get some place for my people to be stable. What is that? That's him acting as a king. That's him being faithful. He does that. He secures a place for them. He uses that same skill to allow the, the king to, to let him live on the outskirts of the city rather than right under the king's nose. He didn't want to be under the king's nose because he knew where his true alliance lies. He knows that as I'm working, as I'm uh, making a deal with the enemy, I'm going to serve the Lord regardless. And I don't want the, the, the king to find out what's going on because if he do, it's going to be bad for me. So he gets some land far away on the outskirts of town. That way he can do what he needs to do. And what does he do? He continued to act as a king. He is going, defeating the enemies of old, defeating the enemies that were still in the land that God had already told Israel to uproot. He goes to those towns and he launches raids on the enemies of Israel. And he is wise enough not to let somebody live and get out so that the king of the Philistines could hear what he was actually doing. Kings defeat their people's enemies. Kings defeat their own enemies. David was anointed king, and though he was not installed, he still walked in his kingly responsibility. Sometimes... We are going to have to do that. It may not be your time to be enthroned. It may not be your time to be appointed. But what God has revealed in his word and promised to you, you can, you can rest assured, you can hope that he's going to do what he's going to do. And all you have to do is remain faithful. Walk in that. If God has called you to something, walk in that. Carry it out. Walk in that calling. Because God is going to use it. The doors may not be open yet. You may still have hurdles to overcome. But that is no reason for you not to walk in who he has called you to be. We, wanna, we want to walk in our calling. Whatever God has called us to, that is what we are to walk in. That's when we make that decision on a day-to-day -day basis. We're making a decision 
to keep hope alive. See, Teresa Francisco and her husband, they finally had found a doctor. A doctor who was willing to operate on their daughter. The the surgery was going to be one that required almost half of her brain to be removed. But they had already made the decision to keep hope alive. Hope that they'll be able to see their baby grow up. Hope that they'll be able to see her live on her own. I want to tell you, because they made a decision to keep hope alive there, they did get to see their child grow up. They got to see her live on her own, have a job sustaining herself. But even beyond that, there is one who was a master of keeping hope alive. And his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ keeps hope alive. He comes on the scene and he starts his ministry. And just as he's getting started, Satan tempts him. Satan is tempting him, oh, here all the kingdoms of the world. Don't you want these? Bow down, worship me. Jesus says, I can't do it. To do that would be to give hope a premature death. Jesus wards him off with the word, creating some separation. Then he's again faced with other attacks in the Gospels where he knows this is not the time. It's not time for me to die yet. So what Jesus has to do, he has to create some separation. He gets away from those trying to thwart those that want to put an end to what God has already established. He leaves their presence. They don't know where he went. They can't kill him. Finally, Satan launches another attack. And he thinks that he has him. Jesus is now stretched out on the cross. Hope is there on the cross bleeding out. In his last breath, he says, it is finished. It is finished, giving us a a, a glimmer of hope. What is that pointing to? Saying, it is finished. I fulfilled the promises back in Genesis that the, the enemy will be crushed. It's been fulfilled, and then three days later, he gets up out of the tomb. He is walking with all power and authority, saying hope is alive. I don't know, Strong Tower, what you guys are up against on a day-to-day basis, but I want to tell you, you can hope in Jesus Christ. You can hope in him whatever the enemy has launched attack. However, he's launched attack in your life. You can trust in Jesus. You can hope in him on a day-to-day basis. You can keep hope alive by turning your attention to Jesus. You can keep hope alive by focusing in and saying, God, I'm going to remain faithful where you plug me in at. I'm going to be faithful in these areas because that's all that I can do. And on a day-to-day basis, when we make that decision, we are making a decision to keep hope alive. Hope in what? Hope in what God has promised. Hope in his revealed word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have nowhere else to go. 
you are our hope. Hope in life, our hope in death. You are our hope against the enemy. Father, whatever attack the enemy has set in the lives of your people, I pray, God, that you give them the strength to create separation, to get away from those that are trying to undo what you have promised. And Father, I pray that you give them strength to remain faithful, to walk in what you have called them to. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.